I sat in the park for like an hour and a half and I didn't even know how to feel. Yeah. So, and I think there's a lot of people, especially in the, the corporate grind or just, you know, that have followed what society said you should be living, mm. that are in so much in their head, they have zero concept of understanding how to feel. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melbourne Reconnect. Uh, Paul Medhurst here with my co-host and founder of Beyond Rest, Nick Dunnan, and we're in the chill-out space at Beyond Rest with our second guest, Tom Ahern. Welcome, hey. mate. Thanks, mate. It's good to be here. Now, Nick. Yeah, Tom, um, Tom we, I know a little bit about you. Run into you at the gym and rub shoulders with you from time yes. to time there. Rub pants. Rub pants, <laughs> rub pants. Um, and so, Tom... Tom, you've got a bit of a quirky, alternative, different background, which is very aligned to kind of the people that we really want to chat to or like hanging out with in mm. our chill out spaces and uh, more so around that, you know, you've you've come from a CrossFit, you know, fitness, hardcore yep. training background. You host a whole bunch of different podcast shows yeah. um, and you've just released a book, um, you know, the title, Yes, I'm Fine. Um, yeah. Yes, I'm Fine, Just Tired, right. yeah. Yeah, that was actually um, an excuse I used to say to a lot of people when I was going through some anxiety. I, I think it's a common, um, it's a common excuse that you know many of us kind of say. But I think, um, yeah, it was something that um, I would use to say all the time, you know. And um, I didn't really need to towards the end. So, but yeah, no, no, you're spot on. I, I found um, CrossFit really um, at a time when I was going through some some mental health issues. You know, I um, loved my footy and I. Um, you know, try my luck down in uh, Frankston in the, in the VFL to give that a real crack. And that was kind of at the time where there was some um, externally volatile situations happening in my life. And um, I think when I got cut from, uh, from, uh, from trying out at Frankston, it kind of really, I don't know, I put so much time and effort my whole life was into trying to make the AFL, trying to make the AFL, trying to make the AFL. But there was so much specifically with me, there was so much ego attached into why I wanted to make the AFL. You know, I, I don't know where specifically that I lost the love of the game, but it became, you know, once you make the AFL, then you'll get all these hot chicks and then you'll, you know, you'll make all this money. And I, I really had just lost, you know, the actual reason why I started to play AFL because it's just a beautiful game. It's about camaraderie. It's about mateship. It's about actually bettering yourself, bettering yourself as obviously, you know, Paulie. Um, all these sorts of things. And um, when I got cut, it was just such a big like cut to the ego that I think that sort of straw that broke the camel's back with all these other things going on to my, into my life, I just developed uh, – well, I was diagnosed with um, OCD, panic disorder, and, um, and significant levels of, uh, of, uh, of chronic anxiety, which just um, kind of set my world on fire, which is interesting. Um, but, yeah, then I, yeah, you're right. I found CrossFit, um, and I initially used that as an escape, uh, but now it's just become a um, – a lovely part of my life, so yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a journey. It's been good fun. <laughs> so did CrossFit happen after footy, or did they go concurrently for a while? Yeah, so CrossFit. Um, I found CrossFit in twenty fourteen um, as all that was really starting to happen. Um, it, they were you, you, you spot on. They were happening concurrently for a little while there. I was you know initially using CrossFit to better my footy, um, but I found. CrossFit, you know, ironically, it's kind of one of the best things that happened to me now, but I, I found CrossFit because, you know, if I could put myself in that much pain for one hour, I'd be able to actually forget the, uh, the mental pain that I was dealing with as well. So, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of this. This was just kind of like what I was moving towards. I didn't realize that I'd moved from, 
you know, one sort of addiction in, into AFL, you know, drugs and all these sort of things, um, you know, kind of happening on simultaneously as well. Um, you know, and then moved on to an, another, another addiction with actually out coming to terms with, I guess, probably the identity crisis that I was kind of going through at the same time. So it was, um, it was a good thing there. It was like an initial, like, you know, you know, use this shit every day for an hour just to chill out from all the other stuff for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's good fun. So the anxiety, is that something that you can remember from the earliest age or is it something that kind of happened, you know, at a certain age? Talk us, give us a bit of a light, you know, like a rundown of, of mm. how that played out in your life from, from your earliest memory. Yeah. Um, so I was always an anxious kid, you know, um, writing that book was extremely therapeutic for me because I could begin to sort of unpackage the, the reasons of, you know, why this, these anxiety disorders, um, came to be when I was, you know, when I was very young, I remember having all these sort of, um, panic attacks and things about like ghosts in my room. These, I've always had sort of irrational fears. I've never been one to kind of worry about what my boss tells me or what happens, you know, in day to day life, but my mind can just fall down these rabbit holes and I can get really worried about things. Um, you know, that are completely separate to what I'm going through. So from a young kid, I can remember, um, you know, getting really worried about what would happen if I went to hell and like burnt for eternity, you know, all these things. And I went to like a, a, um, a Christian school as well. And I kind of developed what some would call Catholic guilt, but I think it was much more predicated upon my underlying anxiety as a kid anyway, you know, um, I'd, and I had OCD present from a young age as well. I can remember like, um, you know, being in my bed at night with the covers wrapped over me, you know, in the middle of summer, and just, you're just thinking like, fuck, there are ghosts in my room. There are ghosts in my room. They're going to get me and they're going to pull me down into this like world of just eternal suffering. And the thought, the word eternity, when there's complete hopelessness, you know, underlying that, that word is, is, um, it was always really scary for me because I couldn't get out of it, you know? Um, and the OCD would kind of come about through, all right, just tell yourself they're not real. Tell yourself they're not real. All right. Um, but if you do, tell yourself they're not real, then the ghosts are going to try to come after you even more, you know? So I always would, my brain would just like, was more my mind really would kind of trap me into these kind of like thought processes, you know, um, that happened. And then I don't know where it started. I can't remember the, the exact time it started, but in year 12, I had a, a really hectic mushroom trip and I, I'd um, done mushrooms every now and then before that. But this mushroom trip, I had way more than I'd ever had before. And, um, I was doing it for the wrong reasons as well. I was doing it to go out and party and, and, um, you know, and get with girls and all these sorts of things, which, you know, you can do that, you know, you know, to some extent you can do whatever you want, but just my mind at the time wasn't ready for that. And it just like literally shredded all aspects of my ego apart and brought me to life with, um, a lot of shit that I hadn't dealt with. And, um, it kind of led to, it was the best thing that ever happened to me really, because it was a massive lesson that I needed to learn, but it kind of, yeah, show me all these things. And I had to do a lot of, you know, self-work to kind of grow from that. So the, the lessons manifest themselves in OCD and, um, pure obsessive thoughts. Like I had thoughts about constantly turning gay, like really, really weird, you know, specific thoughts about like doing sexually terrible things to my friends and my family and, you know, my, my parents and like what I would do and what that would mean. And, you know, constantly fearing about developing mental health illnesses and constantly fearing, you know, about going to hell again, that arose again, you know? And, um, I think it was just basically, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been brought to light into all these things and I kind of needed to get myself back into living a more authentic path or leading a more authentic life because, 
you know, I didn't know what was going on. And then my brain with so much time to think, just, just threw all these things out there, you know? Um, so I had to kind of pick up the pieces after, um, yeah, it's, um, it was, again, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, but it took me a fair few years to kind of come to terms with what had actually happened. From that one, from that one experience in, it was a big experience. Yeah. There were, there were other things that, um, that, um, you know, I guess augmented it like, you know, um, cousins dealing with, um, with heroin addictions and parents divorcing and, and all these, all the sorts of, all these other sorts of things. But it was, it was kind of what happened with the mushrooms, you know? Um, and it was kind of what happened with, um, the way I kind of saw that as well. There was a bit of a victimhood mentality and there wasn't much sort of personal responsibility with that. And there was lots and lots of dwelling, which, um, which, yeah, just when we, you know, shot me right down the rabbit hole and, you know, essentially I was just in my own mind 24 seven. And, um, you know, now I love to be within my own mind because I've kind of reconciled that, that part of me, you know, I've, I think I have a better connection to, to, to who I am upstairs as well as who I try to embody and, um, and hopefully what you guys try to see as well, you know, but, um, yeah, at the time there was a lot of things that needed figuring out. Mm-hmm. It's good fun. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I'm really curious in what you're saying about the sort of perjury aspect in hell and yeah. that type of thing. Is that something that was that something that was discussed with with family? Like, where did that come from? Where did that kind of sense yeah. of heaven and hell and because that seemed to seem to have been a real kind of core belief that led to the you know the ideas about ghosts and yeah. eternal damnation. And where did can you kind of can you find where that kind of belief structure? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was um, I was born and raised a Catholic, um, and you know we went to, to church every Sunday and all this sort of stuff. And I think, um, you know, I went through a big sort of um, religion hating period in my life because of a lot of this. You know, like I, the, the pendulum swung massively with with that regard. It was, you know, you, you're born and raised a Catholic. You go to a Catholic school. You learn about terms like original sin, and you learn about heaven and hell and these terms that you can't even begin to unpackage when you're a fucking child or a, you know, a high school kid. Um, and then these things are kind of getting thrown at you. And because I was already, I already had this sort of preset level of high anxiety, you know, your mind just naturally, I mean, anxiety is like a beautiful emotion that keeps us safe from a rational perspective. You know, um, it's a very important primitive emotion, but the way that mine had been rewired to a high set level of anxiety, I just saw the world as a threat every single way, you know, every single way. And when you hear these terms like original sin, heaven and hell, be good unless this will happen or, sorry, excuse me, be good or else this will happen, these sorts of things. Um, for whatever reason, my mind just took that and ran with it, you know? And it, I went through a period of absolutely hating religion, hating it in all forms, you know? Any, any sort of religious institution became a devout atheist, um, read just Dawkins book after Dawkins book, you know, listen to Sam Harris all the time. And I had, a, there was a lot of ego attached to that. Just like, fuck religion, you know, like for what it did to me, all that victimhood sort of stuff, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, there was nothing, I guess, like that happened this day that sparked my fear of anxiety with regard to heaven and hell and all this sort of stuff. But I was just brought into a, uh, a world where Catholicism kind of, you know, spoke about those things. And for whatever reason, I, um, I took it down that road, you know, well, my, my, my monkey mind kind of took it down that road. And it wasn't until maybe a year ago, you know, probably a year, year and a half ago where, spirituality, you know, became more of a, uh, more of a, 
you know, more a more important part of my life. I think um, after reconciling all these things in the book, and then you know, undergoing things like um, like med- like starting to do meditation again, and actually kind of moving away from all the clutter in my head, and and having some ex- incredible experiences in flow tanks and things like that, that um, you kind of understand how spirituality becomes institutionalized because people start to think, oh my God, spirituality is having such an amazing positive effect on me individually. This will help other people. And I think it does, but I think you have to understand the the personal um, as much as the collective with, with spirituality and religion, you know, for to really understand what that means to you um, rather than just reading a book and going, oh, well, this is this and this is this. And, you know, th- there's a lot of sort of that blind faith, which I don't really like at all. I think you really have to kind of understand what spirituality means to you, you know, because I mean, it's different for everyone. It's different for everyone. So, mm. What is it for you? I think spirituality for me is, I mean, I, I look at, um, you know, I, I don't um, recognize or, or put myself to a specific re- religion, you know. Um, I just like the idea of um, that there are, there are many things in the universe that I, that I, that I don't understand. Mm. And um, I try to look at the universe as, as giving me signs and things, you know, to, to let me know that I'm on the right, right path. And I guess the, the way that I can kind of um, – tell if I'm on my right path, you know, is because when I feel like there's something challenging that needs to be overcome, you know, and that's a very, very, very unique thing within all of us. We all have things that are tough for us. Um, I kind of try to do those things, you know, um, whether it's public speaking for me or just being really open on a podcast and talking about um, my fears about, you know, um, homosexual obsessive compulsive disorder and, and life after death and things like that. Um, it's, it's from what I've started doing, you know, when I first came public about the book and all that sort of stuff, it's been very rewarding for me. Um, and I think that that happiness aspect kind of does lie just uh, beyond that sort of fear aspect. So when the universe keeps pushing me and, you know, keeps giving me those signs that this is probably what I have to keep doing, you know, because if I move away from a test here, it's probably going to manifest in some other part of my life, you know, um, I just feel, yeah, I kind of get this feeling and it probably is just a belief, you know, I don't know whether it's backed up at all. Um, but yeah, I just kind of like this feeling of, you know, someone's got my back and it's not like a, it's everything is going to be okay now. You know, it's kind of like, what can I give to keep like promoting that sort of self to me? You know, it's, um, very hard for me to explain. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty hard for really anyone to explain, but it sounds yeah. like this whole writing the book thing has been quite a therapeutic experience. Can you tell us a little bit about like what you've got from that? Because I know mm. in the past where I've unveiled my history and things mm. that I've done and put it up on a blog, for me, that was extremely therapeutic mm. for my friends to see and just go, okay, yep, there's all the bad stuff and the yeah. good stuff and 100%. all the weird stuff, you know, all mixed in there. Like how was it for you in terms of this process? Yeah, well, I mean, I wrote the first draft in uh, 20 days, um, started Jan 9th and finished um, Jan 29th, um, yeah. uh, 2017. So I started it last year, yeah. Um, and it was, it was initially it was just a way for me to reconcile things that I knew were in my head that um, I hadn't really, I guess, come to terms with yet. Um, so it was definitely more of just a um, kind of like a, a DIY for me. You know, I needed to, to, to figure these things out. Um, excuse me. But I think any form of writing or diary writing or book writing, whatever you want to call it, is just such a good way to, you know, get all of that shit that's in your head and put it on pen and paper to really see logically what's actually going on. I mean, for me, like with a lot of us, you know, 
you have a thought and then that spirals into another thought. And then within three seconds, you, you have this huge what if anxious moment or this huge kind of whatever going on. And it can be from anything. Like I could just be looking at someone walking past me and then within seconds, I'm like freaking out about some fucking stupid thought, you know, that I've got no idea about. Um, so all those little things, diary writing and, and, and writing a book, for example, over anything is just so important. So it was more of a therapeutic element for me than anything. And it was really tough, man. Like, that book's been edited about nine times, you know, by me, because the first three, four, five, six times, I wasn't able to even stare at my, stare honesty in the face completely. You know, there were so many things that I couldn't even speak about 100% honesty um, because I was just ashamed and afraid and embarrassed. You know, these these walls of fear which just had such a strong hold over me that um, I couldn't even look at it you know, on a piece of paper, but it was only until starting to kind of promote it a bit on YouTube and talk about, about mental health a little bit more with other people, um, that I was really seeing the positive signs of what that was doing. And it wasn't just like, Oh, look at Tom. He's fucking, you know, so heroic and this and that. It was actually kind of what I was receiving as well. People were opening up to me. I was like, Oh my God, this is so therapeutic for me to hear that some of the like, you know, externally looking masculine bloke is kind of dealing with the same thing. This makes me feel really good. I want to kind of keep doing it. It's not like a, it was genuinely not an ego trip. Um, and that's when I kind of started to go back into the paragraphs in the book and the chapters and kind of go, okay, that's very ambiguous here. You know exactly what you're hiding. Let's be really honest, you know? And I, I really owe my mental health now to a massive part of that book because it was just, um, so, so therapeutic for me to, feel like you didn't have to judge yourself anymore, you know? And I mean, I mean, if anxiety is an emotion, every single human being in the world has anxiety, you know, and Mm. sometimes it can take a hold of us. And I mean, we should be doing whatever we can to make it that we can live exactly like what beyond rest is kind of trying to implement to the world, living an authentic life. I mean, that is so fair for all of us to wanting to wanting to live, you know, and if you have an emotion holding, holding on you, like I couldn't, could not tell you that how, how rewarding writing a book is or, or starting a podcast, you know, it's just give yourself a voice, you know, and kind of build that confidence in yourself. That's like, Hey, like I'm here for a reason. And the reason is probably just to be me, you know, and I want to start doing that right now. So you found like in the early podcast, did you feel that you weren't really your truer self? Like yeah. when you were doing it, you kind of had what society would, what others probably want to hear from you as opposed to like who you really are. Would you say that would be a fair assessment of you kind of going through that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say I was at school, I was kind of like the ADHD fucking larrikin sort of dude, always really funny class count, class clown by the, you know, at the back, sitting at the back, that sort of stuff. And I really tried to, I really tried to kind of uphold that, that, that guy on the podcast, you know? Um, and, um, it was great because I do love cracking jokes and, you know, being a bit stupid as well, but, um, it wasn't great in a sense that it was kind of being used as a, uh, as an escape to, to being completely me, you know, and it wasn't a massive escape. It wasn't like really trying to hide who I was or anything, but there was a little bit of that element, you know? Um, but it's great. Like podcasting highlights, it highlights that, you know, it, you, you put yourself in front of a microphone or you put yourself in front of a camera and, um, before you upload it, you probably have a look back on it or you just know what you, what you say. And, um, you know, you know very well if, if what you're saying is, is a reflection of who you are and, and when it isn't, you know, so it's a, it's a really great lesson to, um, to do that. I think, I just think podcasting is fantastic. Like if you want a voice, you know, just give it a crack and someone will have a listen, you know? Yeah. I mean, I really like your approach in the sense that the way that you are going about it 
from what we've talked about so far is that this is what I'm going through. Mm. This is what I want to talk about, what's important to me, and other people can relate to that. I mm. think um, teaching is a different approach again. Mm. Um, definitely the approach that I want to have or that I'm having so far with the Beyond Rest podcast is like Melbourne Reconnect. Mm. What does that mean to me? You know, I'm in the process of being connected, losing connection, finding myself, feeling confused. I'm not, mm. you know, I'm not <clears throat> sitting here as a teacher. I definitely don't have the magic pill for happiness. I have as many crap days as I have good ones. Yeah. And I think when you're just relating from that place, it's more relatable. Mm. Um, whereas I think nothing against teaching if you've got a certain skill set for sure. Um, but I just really like what you said about your approach and it just mm. – it kind of strikes a chord. You can you can tell when someone's not trying to, you know, be someone that they're not. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely feel everyone's a work in progress no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing. So hopefully we can kind of be true to that. Yeah. Nick, what do you reckon, mate? Oh, I completely agree. And I think just in terms of day-to-day life, whenever you feel that you've nailed something in your life and you're like, yeah, I think I've nailed this, you just get your pants pulled down and shown by different people in terms of what's going on within life, even within work. Like constantly we've got this pretty kumbaya kind of style, you know, group of people and culture from time, you know, that we like to kind of uphold. But then mm. a lot of times people's shit comes up within within the centres or within the business and, you know, and within myself, I get pulled up all the time where I'm doing something. And it's like, yeah. well, that's like quite aligned to our values here. So, you know, I'm definitely one all the time that can be, pulled away you know from kind of what we're actually about as a business and where we're trying to go and i'm caught in this high anxious just get things out there got to get the word out there about floating and got to do all this and Mm. you know i get caught you know within that that busy world and you know obviously away from you know the beautiful escape within the pod but um yeah in terms of you know with everyone's a work in progress and everyone needs to you know, really be aware of kind of, or you just, you just, you know, you can escape within alcohol or, you know, mm. drugs or whatever your, you know, your vice is working really hard or, you know, there is an escape to some degree, but mm. actually having that awareness and for a lot of people, you know, they can do that through meditation or just being still and doing nothing, but having that stillness and just going, okay, this is where I'm at within my life right now and shit, these are the things that, I'm not quite aligned with or mm. these are the things that, you know, I need to improve on. And when you really look at it, you know, from the outside, people could look at you and just like, oh, yeah, it seems like you, you know, got this and that aligned and, you know, to someone else, it's like chaos, yeah. you know, within. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot, you know, you could look at that. Like I think, Paul, you've got a really interesting background in terms of being, a, you know, a bit of a footy star at some stage to being out there to now, you know, Retransitioning back into life, I'm sure there's probably something there you could probably share in terms of kind of where you've been to where you are now in terms of you know running out there in front of a hundred thousand people at mm. the MCG and getting a medal and doing a little speech to then cleaning some rooms in a float center to you know to kind of where you're at to you know your whole spiritual journey of you going off and doing that. But yeah, rather than me putting words in your mouth, I think. Yeah. yeah, oh, there's definitely an adventure there to chat about. Um, but just in answering your question in a sort of a shorter way, for sure, like you come off the highs of living your dream. That's all I ever wanted to do was play AFL mm. from my earliest memory. Um, and being able to do that was amazing. It was a gift. But 
you come out the other side at 29 with, you know, groping for something to really get you out of bed. Yeah. You know, my son comes along, he's five now, and when I'm with him, you know, you, you, you know, you're your life instantly has meaning because you're a dad, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, you're not there all the time. So I think there's, yeah, there's definitely lots to chat about with that, but I think this podcast is part of my, you know, part of my adventure is not too many things that really spark me in terms of, yeah, bounce out of bed in the morning, looking forward to, to doing other than being a dad. But the podcast is something that, yeah, I've told you a few times. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. Why not? So, um, but I don't want to talk the whole time, so I'm going to ask you a question. No, that, well, that I was. No, yeah, but I was just going to say, like you, you, it, it's it is an adventure because it's you. You find you don't you, you don't know what you're potentially interested in until you start to talk to people that have different interests. You know, and then I mean, you know, I've interviewed people that um you know are going on Mars One. You know that sort of thing where they're going up in Mars and trying to like terraform Mars and, and never coming back to. Uh, to, to Australia, I've interviewed like a porn star that's into like real hectic shit. I've interviewed, you know, all these different sorts of people, but it, it really fascinates me that like, you know, I mean, the, the spectrum there is so fascinating from like a Mars one person or a porn star, but like they still have sort of, you know, different outlooks on life, but then they're very similar as well. You know, you know, like you just said before, you have crappy days, like we have crappy days too. And yeah, it's, it's just a really great way to connect with people that you otherwise wouldn't connect with, you know, so... I really do think everyone should do this. Yeah. Awesome. <coughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. So just a little bit about the, um, you know, the book and what your, what was it that got you towards, okay. So you, you've just written the book. Mm. You go into Bali. Like what is it, you know, you do everything. You've run all these podcasts. You live in a fairly alternate lifestyle, being a CrossFit athlete, trainer, et cetera. Mm. Like what is it? within you that makes you go stuff this i'm not society or my group or my peers or everyone around me is doing this Mm. but i'm going to go do this like what is it within you that you feel if you could go back is there any kind of lineage or any pattern that you could kind of follow yeah i think i I think i was I, i think i'm at a definite advantage having gone through all of those mental health issues you know um, because it forced me to, to, to change, you know, I mean, I, I, like there was a point in my life where it was about a month, you know, where I was like, you know, hundred percent committed to strapping a foot to my, strapping a rock to my foot and then jumping in my neighbor's pool and never, never surfacing, you know, like I was ready to go. Um, and the one thing that kept me going was really funny. It was, you know, we'd, um, my, uh, my mum would put my, um, my sister and I to sleep every night, you know, you get tucked in and, um, I just remember that she used to say every now and then, like, "Don't ever hurt yourself, or you'll have a very angry mother, to, every very angry mother to deal with," you know. And for some reason, I, it's like a beautiful irony is that, like, the fear of what my mum would say kept me away from kind of like giving into the fear of you know hurting myself. Um, so it was kind of like when I hit rock bottom and there was nothing else to lose for me internally. And there are millions of stories like this, you know. I'm just one of them. But um, when I hit that that space, and I was like, "All right." I'm the lowest I've ever been in my whole life. I'm not probably going to hurt myself here because I'm scared about what my mum would think. <laughs> How do I kind of rebuild, you know? And um, it kind of, I think that a lot of these things happen, you know, worries about the future and sadness about the grieving about the past, like depression is like a personal grief, you know? I mean, I, there's a guy who I interviewed, um, Johan Hari, he's written this book called Lost Connections. Like, 
I know you're reading at the moment, um, Nico, it's one of the best books. I absolutely love it. And he talks about how depression, the symptoms for depression and grief are the exact same thing, except we heavily medicate one within 48 hours. You know, it's a statistic. It's really sad, you know, but depression can just be like personal grief and, you know, that not having um, reconciled with, with things that have happened to you that are very fairly and deeply traumatic, you know. Um, and when I kind of got to that stage, I kind of had to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild. And I kind of was attempting to find meaning in my life that was probably more authentic to who I was as a, as a, as a spirit in this, in this pleasure seeking monkey suit, you know, like I was, I was, um, starting to try different things here and there. I was like reading different books that I'd not sort of read before and, you know, trying CrossFit and all these sorts of things. And I don't know, I think from that, what people would call a disadvantage, I'd call it a massive advantage, um, of, of going, going through, going through that sort of stuff. I have this love of, you know, like what you guys are doing, reconnecting and making sure you're on that path to, towards authenticity, because it was the one thing that saved me from, from being in that zone of disorder, you know, and chaos again. So I don't think I'll ever get that out of my head of like, I mean, I can't be 100% happy, um, unless I'm doing something that means a lot to me. And, you know, I don't know what it is all the time and I've got to try things all different time. You know, I've been been diagnosed with ADHD a fair few times in my life. Um, but I, again, that's another advantage. I like the fact that I can try to taste things. And if I don't like love something a hundred percent, I can just kind of move on and do that thing. And, you know, at the moment I'm moving in Bali to, um, manage a strength conditioning facility with my, with my lovely partner and who knows what'll happen. You know, maybe we'll be together, maybe we won't, but it'll be cool. I've tried something there. I can move on and do something else. Like, I don't think you should ever feel like you, you need to be stuck in this life, you know? And I think what we were talking about before the podcast, if you, as Ram Das says, keep death in the awareness of consciousness, which is tattooed actually on my chest. If you, I don't know, take a moment to look up the stars or if you just kind of go, shit, I'm, I've probably got about 65 years left now. If I died tomorrow or if I was able to look back on my life right now, am I like fucking pumped that I did it in the way I did? And if the answer is no, I mean, to use a cliche, like figure it out, (laughs) you know, you got to, you you owe it to yourself and the people around you as well, you know, like you just, you just got to. So, um, it was kind of moving towards those things that were, um, that made me a happier person, you know, Mm. And they haven't been massive changes. They haven't been like, oh, well, then I got rid of this bloke because he was a dickhead and I moved on and now I'm a completely fucking weird, sort of completely different person. I'm really not that different. I just kind of have a bit more direction. I kind of understand how my mind works a little bit better. You know, it's just, it's always a learning curve. And, you know, hopefully uh, I write a few more books to kind of, you know, try to figure it out even more, you know, what I don't know. So, yeah. Um, a question I was thinking of before when you were talking about, um, what were you talking about? You're talking about the way that you see your direction unfolding is where you see challenges and look to work through them. Mm. Um, How do you kind of reconcile that way of going about life to another thing that people say, which is being in a flow state and just doing things and there's an effortlessness about the way things are unfolding? Like where do you navigate your way through, Mm. okay, here's a brick wall or whatever, you know, metaphorically something that has to be moved through and, you know, there's an effort, you know, there's will that needs to be, I need to put my will to something yeah. to overcome it to path of least resistance. How does that sort of yeah. work in you? Fuck, man, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think for me, I think like I was talking about before with like, you know, liking that belief of the kind of the universe giving you signs and, and that sort of stuff. Um, I think if it keeps popping up, like I think if you 
if you don't know the answer to something, um, that's fine. You know, and like you said, being in a flow state, you know, just, just kind of sit, chill out. Um, that doesn't mean sit in front of the TV, you know, or like go out and drink beers. I mean, they're, they're perfectly good to do, you know, but if it's something that's on your mind, you're not sure about the direction, it should be, you know, meditate, jump in a float tank, get rid of all the clutter to really kind of come to terms with what it is that you're struggling to figure out, you know, um, I've got a massive, massive history in the past of just, you know, doing things impulsively, you know, um, and um, I haven't really let, you know, myself kind of simmer to realize, well, is this actually the right decision, you know? Um, so that flow state is really good. And it's really, I guess it's imperative, I think, to living that sort of authentic life, you know? Um, but I think if something keeps popping up and you have that kind of yearning and that desire in your belly, you know, that that intuition, um, that, you know, this is, this is important and this is a challenge that's worth you overcoming, then I think, um, then it's time for you to start to kind of put the, um, the, the processes in place. Like for me, I developed a huge fear of public speaking, like a massive fear of, of public speaking. I had, um, two separate panic attacks, um, giving a brief, um, to about 30 members at a CrossFit gym, um, in 2015 and, um, and in 2014, I think it was as well. And that just really scarred me because I had like a very embarrassing moment from what I thought, from what my ego was telling me, it was a very embarrassing moment um, in front of people as well, you know? So the beautiful thing about what anxiety does, it's like this, it, it, it makes you safe as possible all the time. So it's like a, it's a, it's a way to mitigate the risk of danger, you know? And let's say, for example, you walk in um, to a cave and there's a tiger in there and you get really freaked out and you run away. Anything that your mind and the amygdala in your mind can do to prevent you from anything like that happening again, it will, you know? So then I decided, I started to develop fears of podcasting and fears of doing all this sort of stuff. Ironically, I'm hosting a podcast because my mind's going anything that's remotely like a fear of public speaking, don't do it. You know, and you get all the thoughts, you know, you get like the, the thoughts are just the analysis of potential danger in your, in your reality, you know? Um, you get all the feelings, like all these things are happening to kind of like the amygdala is actually two little arm and thick shaped little things on either side of your, of your, on either hemisphere, you know? So it's got total influence. It's like centralized command in your whole body. So when you're freaking out, you're basically, your, your mind is basically saying you're going to die right now unless you get out of this. So it's one of the hardest things to do to overcome a fear, you know, and like being brave is so subjective because, it's your mind's, te- you're trying to overcome your mind thinking that you're about to die because it is, it's trying to protect you from danger, you know? So when my anxiety associated itself with the public speaking fear, I had to kind of learn how to overcome this fear of what my mind thought was dying all the time, you know? But those sorts of, I mean, that's an irrational fear because I was, I'm perfectly fine if I'm public speaking, you know? If there's a tiger on my bed, that's probably fair for me to run away from, you know? I don't want to get fucking eaten by a tiger, you know? But with those little challenges and those little irrational fears we have, like I said before, I really think that happiness lies just beyond, you know, just beyond where that, those irrational fears are. If they keep popping up in your life, there's probably a good chance that you would like to do, you, you know, you could do something about that. And, and that's, for me, anecdotally, that's the, the best growth I've seen when I've been able. I'm still struggling a little bit with certain things. I think I, think I probably will as I progress. I'm, you know, far from perfect and I still get a little bit freaked out with public speaking and and um, fears about the afterlife and stuff, you know, but I think if whenever that pops up into my, into my reality, if I can kind of put my mental health tools in place and, and, um, and recognize that it's a challenge worth overcoming and that actually gives me meaning to my life to actually live a happier lifestyle and a more authentic life, then, um, then I can justify the, um, 
the um, negation of the flow state, like you said. Mm. Mm. When you talk about um, mental health tools, and, and obviously you're saying that you know challenges that are there, you see these challenges as opportunities for you to go down a path that's more aligned to your purpose, mm. or you know what are these kind of tools that help you navigate that path? Yeah, I got ten. Um, I made um, you know a good bunch of YouTube vlogs about them as well. Pants were off. It was good fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the pants got to be off. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, 10, it was, um, number one, which was understanding what di- what anxiety is. So like what we spoke about before, it's an emotion and, you know, excuse me, all that sort of stuff helped me so much. You know, I just had all these flying thoughts in my head and then I was like, oh wait, this, this is what anxiety is. It's like a big, big tree and all these little, little tree branches and the little thoughts, but what it actually is, is just trying to keep me safe. So I could begin to actually, you know, give gratitude to my body and my mind and not, you know, hate myself and resent myself and become bitter, you know? So it's number one is anxiety, what understanding what anxiety is and how it specifically affects you. Number two is diary writing. And there's a bit of gratitude in that. And that's, you know, people always talk about gratitude in this day and age. And I think, um, it can be, um, underestimated and like how powerful, like actually loving someone else, even though you hate them or like really trying to love someone, you know, um, or being really thankful that, that something or someone is, is, um, is in your life. Um, I actually just finished a blog today that I wrote about, um, meditating on MDMA and I, um, meditated, um, to it about three weeks ago. It was like one of the most hectic experiences of my whole life. Like, um, after having going internal and feeling that love for, for everyone else, like I'm just so, so sure that like the way to be happier is to really try to love other people, you know? Um, if more than you can, I, you know, you know, and we can talk about the fact that it was just a drug or not or whatever, but it really was a real experience, you know? Um, Number three is the worst case scenario test. So just putting yourself in, in the deep end, be like, what's the worst thing that possibly happened here? Staring that fucking dragon in the face, you know, and be like, okay, this is bad, but it's not as bad as, you know, keeping it, keeping it under my bed and trying to running away from that fear. You know, the reason why the monster under your bed is so scary is because you've never looked it in the face. And, you know, it's funny how for me, you know, the monster under the bed as a, as an analogy was actually my fear, you know? Um, but when you look at that dragon, you look at that monster in the face, you're like, okay, this is terrible, but it's not, I can, I can do, I can work. I can work with this, you know? Um, there'll, there'll never be a challenge that the universe throws you. I don't think that you don't have the power to overcome, you know? So that's tool number three. Tool number four is facing your fears head on. Tool number five is open, honest communication, which is like what I love about the podcast and like being real about your experiences. Um, tool number six is, putting challenges into place. So not actually just facing the challenges that you're meant to face, but actually putting little things to kind of build on personal responsibility, like cleaning up your room, you know, making sure your room's clean or, you know, trying hard to, to, to read a book or give yourself challenges that you find harder, you know, getting yourself into that sort of understanding of, um, you know, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, that type of scenario. Um, tool number seven is meditation. It's really important. I really, really love it. I think it's a, it's exercise for the mind. You know, it's not just a tool. It's a daily tool. Um, tool number eight is, um, God, now I've gone blank here. can't remember. What is it? <laughs> tool number seven is meditation. Tool number eight is, there's a few more. It's like talking to strangers um, and then a couple of others. But um, they're up there. But clearly I don't use eight and nine. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry. There's no such thing. It's the seven tools. Yeah, yeah the seven tools. Worry. The 7.3 tools. <laughs> yeah. Um, when do you know, I mean, there's so many different ways to deal with different emotions, fear, anxiety, anger, whatever. When do you choose to go and get active and just kind of blast it out of your system with CrossFit? 
Or when do you choose to do something a bit more passive and receptive, like meditate or have a float, like, you know, and same with you, Nick, you're, you do both of those things. You kind of, you go to the gym a fair bit, but you also love your floating. When do you know in yourself when the best way to deal with it? Is it an active or a passive way? I think, yeah, I think for me, um, it's important to recognize if you're escaping from something, um, you know, I think, um, I can remember a fight that I had with my partner, um, about 10 months ago ish. And, um, um, we were, she kind of went for a walk to kind of clear her head and all that sort of stuff. Um, she internalizes things and I tend to externalize in case you can't tell, I just never shut up. But, um, I was um, sitting on my bed and all I wanted to do was like, you know, do like 10 minutes of max burpees or write a book or do all this sort of stuff, you know, but I had to recognize that there were just escapist strategies. And I kind of sat on the bed and, you know, within five minutes, I was just crying my eyes out for like three hours. You know, I had to deal with that grief of, and recognize the fact that I'd probably put 50% into that fight, you know? Um, so I think that, um, when you have an emotion building or, you know, it's a trial by error thing for me anyway, I'm not sure how it is for you, Nico, but, Mm. um, you kind of learn that, um, when you're thinking about, oh fuck, all I want to do is just go and train. I just want to get out. That's like it's probably uh, you need to kind of be present and recognise that there are some things that you have to deal with underlyingly. Um, but um, yeah, if you're not escaping from from something, then I think it's good to go and do those things as well. Yeah. Be active. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you um, so for me, I I find CrossFit actually a really good thing at the end of the day, running a flotation tank business. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, in terms of, um, you know, I'm, well, I don't work in the float centers. I work in front of a computer all day. So I'm a corporate jockey, really, yeah. at the end of the day. And just as I just get to that, it's like, oh, I just feel like a bit overwhelmed or something's made me a little bit upset or I can get angry, um, you know, even you know, floating and doing all this path and completely changing who I've been the past 10 years doesn't mean that I don't get angry. And I've still, I'm still aware that, you know, I've got that within me, that spark there. And I find that, yeah, going to CrossFit helps, you know, release that emotion. Mm. But if it is something a little bit deeper and a little bit more oomph and it's like consuming myself, then yeah, I definitely need to have that, that passive, that time, that silence of just sitting there staring at the wall Mm. for 20, 30 minutes or meditate. Then meditation sucks you know, in in that environment. So I, I'm not really good at escaping that within meditation, so to speak. It's mm. just more of just sitting with it. And then obviously floating, you know, for me, obviously it's just been my tool du jour, you know, that I've had for, that I've been using for 10 years now to kind of work myself out and change the person that I, that I am. But yeah, I'd say that that's probably a good way of analyzing is just that, you know, if you're just overwhelmed and, you know, a bit overwhelmed by some work stuff or whatever it may be, go and active, go run around the park, whatever it is for you, get active. That That's a really good way of getting rid of it. But if there's something deeper and more deeper emotional and you can, just nothing feels right and or you're completely stressed out of your brain, whatever it may be, then that's where you're, you're in that, you know, that, that silence and nothingness and that passive you know, approach of being there and sitting with your emotions and reflecting on them. Yeah, I reckon it's a really, just such an interesting thing that you find in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like almost, I'm almost rehashing what we've just said, but just that balance between honouring an emotion and feeling your feelings mm-hmm. and changing your state. Because I think you can get caught in both. Mm-hmm. You can get caught in just 
okay, I've got to change my state, I've got to pump myself up, I've got to just, you know, put on a, a movie that makes me laugh, which in some situations is completely valid. Just, you know, you've got to let things go. Mm. Whereas you can, you can fall overly into that where you're constantly just moving into discomfort. Oh, I'm going to change my state. I'm mm. going to kind of do something else. But you can also fall the other way. You can just end up stewing in your emotions for so long and getting so caught in them when you need to rebalance the other way, you know, and just sort of say, okay, I felt what needs to be felt. Now I need to, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's a constant battle for me, you know, like I can dwell ah, so easily, you know, um, it's, um, I can dwell all the time and then sometimes I can escape all the time, you know, like I have things that I've 10 things or what do we say? 7.34 things that, you know, that work really well for me and CrossFit's huge for me, you know, like it's massive for me. Writing is huge for me, all these sort of things, but, um, it's so subjective, you know, and when it comes along, I'm like, okay, I got to f- kind of figure this out, you know, because there are, there are, you know, you know, if you're not escaping from it, like huge physiological and psychological benefits, um, just for getting active, you know, I mean, even if you're in a shit spot, like if you're in an anxious state or, or whatever, getting a huge, um, bump from the, the serotonin system, you know, when you, when you're getting active and running out there is, is, is massive. Like, uh, this is something that I'm, um, just kind of like moving into my next book and it's talking about the differences between pleasure and happiness and why we tend to run towards pleasure in this world of junk values, you know, as Johan Hari talks about again, you know, um, but getting active and exercising and all this sort of stuff is, is great. It basically, when you get a huge pump of serotonin, it's kind of like everything's as good as it is. Everything's okay, you know? Um, and that, that's so important. You know, I could never deny the benefits of, of, of physical activity, you know? But then it, it, it kind of, like you said, interplays with that, what are you doing it for? Like, and for me in 2014, the initial reasons is why I found CrossFit, you know, um, was as an escape because I couldn't deal with what was going on in my own head, you know. And I think um, whatever it is, you know, becoming, because there are so many juxtapositions in what we all just spoke about there because we you know, there is no black or white, you know. The best way to kind of grow is through reflection, you know, um, is meditate and think about something, think about what happened or jump in a float tank and think about what something, you know, and how that happened. Um, so it just, you know, that's, that's how you kind of learn. And you, you know, now I can look back after having floated a fair bit and having meditated a fair bit and, and written down a fair few things that in 2014, what I thought was actually doing me a lot of service was actually just an escape. And I think we always have those wake up moments and you, you will wake up every day, the more you're in tune with it, you know, as you progress in your life. Um, and it's just making sure that you listen to those, um, you learn from those lessons and apply it back to the real world. Mm. I, I know a lot of people that say that I can't meditate. That's I was just in a meeting before at a PR agency just before and they were like, oh, I can't really meditate. I don't really do that yoga and this whole float tank thing scares the hell out of me even just talking about it. Mm. Like, I, you can tell they weren't saying that. But for most people, you know, they can't meditate and, and for most people it's intimidating but you can actually just sit there and do nothing. Mm. And um, going back to Blaise Pascal's quote from the 1400s is that all of humanity's problems – um, stem from man's inability um, to sit quietly in a room alone. Mm. And that was a problem back in the 1400s. And then you talk about the technology acceleration from the distraction life that we live in where we're constantly pulled away in every possible direction mm. now that things are just a little bit harder than back in the 1400s to sit quietly in a room because of our addiction to what's there and it's a real thing. But sitting quietly and just even just staring you know, into space or looking at the sky or sitting in the park and just allowing yourself to feel 
mm. get out of your head and that's a weird thing. I got asked, seen this meditation teacher over 10 years ago when I first started playing around with this stuff um, and she asked me to feel and I just, it was foreign. Mm. I had no idea what she was talking about. She was like, how do you feel? So what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> like I just couldn't do it. And I sat in the park for like an hour and a half and I didn't even know how to feel. Yeah. So, and I think there's a lot of people, especially in the, the corporate grind or just, you know, that have followed what society said you should be living mm. that are in so much in their head. They have zero concept of understanding how to feel mm. and just through quiet. And it took me to sitting in Kings Park in Perth and just lots of time in the, in the park there just to begin to like, oh. How do I feel about this? Or how do I feel about that little beetle there just sitting on my lap or, or whatever it may be and just getting to and especially if you've been a, a very high alpha male masculine type dude that you know of just you've just got to dominate and you show no zero weakness ever, mm. you mm. know. Yeah. And just like letting that go to, you know, tie into like, yeah, it's okay to feel. And from feeling, then you begin to understand, to reflect and not bury down these emotions. You don't go into this hardcore 65-year-old Aussie bloke tied in the bar going, fucking hell, mate, you know, like, you know, pissed off at the world. And, um, you know, you know, you know, because there is, you know, there is a bit of an epidemic in terms of, you know, the Australian male in terms of just suppressing, she'll be right, mate, just toughen up, pucker up. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms yeah. of just move on and you'll be you'll be fine and, and don't worry about those emotions and, and feelings. So, yeah, the roundabout point is is that we can just sit in a park and just look at nothing and begin to learn to just be by ourselves and our emotions and feeling things. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you're exactly right. I think that um, people think of meditation as like a, an ability to clear the mind, you know, and it's not about that. I think meditation is just about reconnecting with the self, you know, and um, for all that is, you know. And like all, all you have to do is just for anyone that wants to try to meditate, just, um, you know, meditation is just one word. It's like a million different words across a million different ages for the word God, you know, meditating is just one word that's become very popular, you know, like kale or like spinach juice in, in the, uh, you know, the fad environment nowadays, but it's just, um, it's just sitting with yourself, you know, just get rid of all the stimulus, you know, and then. If you, if you really are, if you really are someone that struggles to meditate, I would probably put myself in that zone even more, you know, and this is why flotation tanks are perfect for that because they take away all stimulus, all stimulus, you know, and, you know, if you are someone that goes, God, I couldn't imagine, you know, doing that, you probably need to do it a fair bit, you know, you, I mean, who knows how, how you're living, you know, and you're probably not a bad person at all, but you could be so much happier, you know, and, and you really, really could be, you know, um, that's why flotation tanks are so good, you know, and as you start to get better at it, you can, you can meditate all the time. You can just focus on something, you know, and then just be with the self. And that's why they always talk about just listening to the breath, you know? And I think if you begin to kind of build that self-awareness and, and that ability to recognize your thoughts as a separate entity from your, who you are, or your thoughts as just a mere aspect of consciousness, you can actually really start to see how your thoughts dictate your behavior. And that is a really startling thing to start to come to fruition. You know, you think like, how, how much am I influenced by this stupid nonstop monkey mind in my head? You know, um, that, that's why, that's why I think I call, you know, I call meditation meditation because it just makes sense to me. You can call it whatever you want. People, people look at flowers for half an hour, just sit there, you know, just, just see it, see what happens. Yeah. Mm. Hmm.
I think what you were saying before is interesting, Nick, about feeling. Um, I don't think it's always, it's not just a mental thing all the time. It's not always a choice. People choose, okay, well, now I'm going to start feeling. And I've said it before, I think I said it in the first podcast, I said, you don't know what you don't know. And I think emotional numbness is one of those things. People don't know when they're emotionally insulated Mm -hmm. because of, you know, traumas that they've had growing up, um, relationship busts up, you know, emotions that haven't fully been digested create a bit of a, you know, a bit of a um, insulation. Mm -hmm. So your ability to really feel deeply is impacted by that. So I think finding something where you are just with yourself and allow yourself to just... I think meditation can be a completely mental exercise as well. You know, uh, I'm not, there's a lot of different ways to do it Mm. and do whatever you connect to. There's mantra meditation, following your breath, just feeling your sense of being, whatever. Um, In my own experience, I, I like to, I'm not into mantra meditation as much because I think there's so much mental stuff that goes on. For me, it's a sense about getting, a felt sense of what's going on in my body. Mm. Um, and I think that's important to just kind of start to not every, you know, some people aren't all, um, emotionally a, a bit numb, but a lot of people, you know, you build up these experiences that aren't fully processed and they act like a little bit of a buffer there. Um, so I think that's important, you know, reconnecting to what it means to feel is, is really important. Mm. Um, cause you don't know that you may not be feeling, to the capacity that you that you're able to. So, um, yeah, how did you get into float tanks, dude? Nick, um, I was doing at the time. What what year was it? Two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, two thousand thirteen when we first opened. Yeah, so I'd finished playing AFL. Yeah. Um, lived overseas for a year. I was playing waffle at the time. I was doing some energy healing, um, craniosacral therapy, Reiki. I was studying those things. Nice. Um, and Nick and I were trading. I was giving him energy healing sessions and he was giving me floats. Oh, that's so mad. we just kind of, having played at Claremont together as 16-year-olds, um, our lives kind of, you know, we didn't stay in close contact all the way. We just kind of came in and out of each other's lives every four or five years. And, yeah, we just reconnected Yeah, um, <laughs> at a time when Nick was – he was just telling me a bit about the idea of floating and I thought it was a really cool idea. I wasn't – my, my initial reaction was, could it be that different to an awesome bath? Yeah. You know? like, I was like, <laughs> it sounds good, but like, is it going <laughs> no to <bubbles>. <laughs> is it gonna be like a, you know, a thing? Yeah. But yeah, it was. I mean, I, I think I would have been one of the first people to float mm. in the tank yeah. in Perth. I think you were, yeah. And I came out feeling like, yeah, there's something really unique about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was kind of right in the depths of exploring meditation, energy healing, all of the sort of things that I was interested in post-footy. Yeah. So that was my sort of intro into flow tanks. But you started just going back a little bit, I think, for you, Paul, it'd be interesting to find out how you actually got into the alternate, mm. you know, spiritual or just understanding yourself considering you're in an environment where you're hanging out with Nathan Buckley and freaking going to go out there and smash it and all that kind of environment that you get in a footy change room, you know, like how was it? Who was it that inspired you to kind of go down this path? Bucks is actually a lot more connected than you think. Oh, really? He's actually, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's super connected. Yeah. Cool. Um, Sorry about that, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> um, this just in? For me, 
yeah, it was it was when I got traded to Collingwood. Um, I'd been, I think, I'd been here f- in Melbourne for four or five months, and in Perth, like everyone, every young person growing up, you've got your you've got your vices. And for me, it was gambling and you know gambling way too much and playing probably too much PlayStation. <laughs> um, either of those things in the right doses, no problem. It's not. I'm not kind of saying that you can never do that, but for me, it was a daily thing. Both yeah. of them. And I think if you kind of have some level to, a level of connection with yourself, you realise that if I keep going down this path with the same level of vigour, it's not going to end well. Mm. Um, and it didn't change for me on the spot. I didn't stop gambling at 25 when I moved over. I gambled for another five years, you know, pretty, um, pretty uh, aggressively. Mm. But no, I mean... It created something changed. Um, it just injected some a greater level of meaning into my life and a greater level of awareness, so I could still see that what I was doing might not necessarily be the best thing for me. But at least there was a mechanism that kind of started to come in and yeah, slowly wean me off, mm. wean me off that stuff very slowly. So. Yeah, that's how I got into it. Just kind of, um, I can remember the first time I did meditate, set my alarm for 20 minutes and actually had a really cool experience the first time. Um, but yeah, that was the start of it, mate. Did you, um, did you find that, because I know um, there have been other footy players that have been pretty open about it, that sort of thing, where, where you've been so engrossed in, in the AFL, you know, that when you came out of it, you, you were trying to find another adrenaline rush potentially or did you, did you lose meaning after you stopped being an AFL player? Those issues didn't. Those issues were on the massively the decline when I finished footy. Yeah. So I didn't kind of fall any more into my vices post footy. I dealt with most of them the second half of my career over here. Yeah. Um. But for sure, like, definitely fell into a bit of an abyss. You know, eight months after I retired. Mm. Um. Because you think the grass is going to be greener, and you think you all. All I knew was footy out of school. Mm. You know, I was a bike courier for a while and a mortgage broker for a little bit, but for nine years straight, it was footy. So I didn't necessarily know what life after footy looked like. I just kind of felt like it was going to be just as fun, but doing something different. Mm. And I was in for a pretty rude shock that I'm still coming to terms with now. Like I said earlier, I'm still looking for something that consistently has me waking up in the morning feeling you know, inspired about my day other than being a dad. Um, yeah. So hopefully this is, this is part of the panacea. Panacea. Yeah. It's good. It's a good word. I like that. Yeah. Don't even know what it means, but it sounds great. The Panasonic. We'll look it up uh, later. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) Oh, it's good. Yeah. Nice one. Um, well, there's a little bit of a question that we like to ask, you know, at the end of a podcast and just, you know, we'll start with a statement and looking at the the biggest regret of the dying. Mm. So there was a study done, um, you know, wherever it was um, and that what they did is they found what are the most common regrets of the dying so that they found that 75% um, of people, the biggest regret of the dying, um, as I go now, they wish they lived a life that was true to themselves rather than what others or society wanted them to live. Yeah. So in looking at that statement, you know, how do you feel that you're living your life right now? Yeah, it, it's uh, it, like it, it is a really good question, you know, and I think um, I think we did touch on it 
a little bit, you know, in, in the podcast, but I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, if there are things that, that frighten you and irrational things and there's probably, you know, some, some merit to, as to the reason why they do, you know, all things considered, if it's, you know, standing on the top of a high rise building, I don't want you to jump off, but those little things in life that you like, you wish you could do, but there's just a fear because we all know them and we all have them, you know, those little things where it's like, oh, I'd, I'd be so good at that, but I just have this like fear and, you know, they become, they do manifest themselves um, and they, they become more, more outlined the more you do begin to reconnect and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think if you can, you know, and who, who knows, who knows in, in five years time, it could be somewhere, something somewhat completely different and be like, oh, you know, everything I said on the podcast was uh, so disingenuous, you know, I don't think so, <laughs> but you know, you, you, I think it's always good to, to be a student of life and always try to be open to, um, to, to those different sorts of messages. But I think for me, um, trying to push, push through those, those fears that I have, those little irrational fears. Um, and, um, I actually do that by writing them down. I write down irrational fears and I write down rational fears and the reasons as to why they're fearful as well. You know, I think, you know, we have so many different fears for so many different reasons and, you know, some of them are fears you hold yourself, but like you said, some of them are are fears based on what you think that other people would think about you as well, you know? And, um, I think the more you do that, the, the happier person you become, you really do, you know, and you start to really, your mind begins to open up and you just see this world that's just your oyster, you know? I mean, you hear that at at school all your time, you can do whatever you want, you know? But when you really start to recognize that, you you really can do whatever you want in this life and there is is nothing to hold you back. Money, kids, like, you know, an inability to travel, they're all just excuses that you're putting on yourself, you know? And you, you, you do have that, you owe it to yourself, like I said before, and the other people to... To, to live that life, you know, that we all can live, you know. So I think um, fears, uh, they're telling you something. And I think that's important. Mm. To look for those fears and look for those little signs that, you know, that they give you or that little path that they direct you down to to live a life that may be more aligned to kind of where you're at. Is that that's what you're saying there? Yeah, I do think, I really do think that, yeah. And, um, you know, just starting somewhere, like you don't, it's not like, I mean, for me personally, you know, it's not just like one day I want to live an authentic life and then you go down the road and live happily ever after and you got your, the tin man and the lion next to you, you know. Um, I mean, when I started going through all this, I, I made a terrible plan for my life. You know, I wanted to start a business and then I wanted to do this, then I wanted to do that, you know, all these sorts of things, you know. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's better to do something really shit than, than, than not do something at all, you know, because you find out why it's shit. So... Stare those little fears in the face, do something, start a podcast, like whatever. And if you find out it's not for you, well, that's good, you know. And to use a massive cliche, like, you know, the lovely quote that Thomas Edison said is, you know, he never failed. He just figured out 700 ways how to not make a light bulb, you know. And then he, and then he eventually created electricity to long last for us all, you know. I mean, what an incredible man that was, you know. And that, 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 that's, that's um, I think there's a lot of power in, in that quote, you know. It doesn't matter what you do, but if you do something, you're going to find out whether it was for you or whether it was not. Cool. Mm. I'm not finished yet, Nick. I'm not finished. <laughs> oh, maybe I am finished. I need to grab something. Can we, on yeah. air, can we do 10 seconds? Yeah, yeah. Just, just go, go yeah. off <laughs> and uh, keep going. Yeah, well, in terms of your book, so, mm. you know, where can people get that? We'll get into this. Yeah, well, um, 
Yeah, no. So that so when this comes out, it'll be uh, live and available on Amazon. So um, you can you can download it um, as on Kindle um, on Amazon. Just type in "Yes, I'm fine, just tired," um, or just me, Tom Ahern, A H E R N. Um, or you can you can um, purchase a copy of the paperback. And um, you know, it's really funny. I've made a uh, an audible version of it as well, so an audio book nice. where I where I um, wrote, uh, read it out loud um, because I'm in Australia. I can't actually put it up on Audible. <laughs> it's a, some real bizarre I can't thing. Use one of my credits. To, no, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no. So it's it's Audible's available in um, Ireland, Canada, the UK, and America, um, but it's not available in Australia or in Indonesia where I'm going to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to release it um, either as a five part series or as a as a big thing on my podcast for free for people to listen to. And if they want to purchase a copy to to help us out, then great. But if they just want to listen to it, then I mean, I think the message is is more important. You know. Um, than you know, than uh, than than the three dollars that I'll get for Audible. So I don't really mind. I just want to. I, I'm looking forward to what people um, think about it. So yeah. And your podcast. Yeah. So I run a podcast called the Mind Mate Podcast. Um, it's exploring spirituality, mental health, and authenticity in the modern landscape. And um, it's basically just a way for me to kind of take off my my ego mask, which always tries to sneak into into my life all the time, and trying to great um, cover that one. Yeah. 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 It's um, the cover that Nick's talking about is actually the the. Um, the print or kind of the look of the podcast, which is me like ripping my, my face off, um, um, kind of represent that. And, um, yeah, look, I'm really excited to be traveling now and just learning from all different sorts of people that, um, you know, are, are trying to do what we're doing. We're all just trying to live a little bit happier every day. And there are many different ways out there that people are doing that. So I'm excited to, to learn from them. Mm. Is there any other things that we haven't covered that you perhaps wanted to sort of go into? Um, to, you know, we've got the time to do it. Um, just thought there might be some things that you wanted to chat about. No, I'm I'm pretty um pretty good. Yeah, I'm fine. I just right. I you know I do fundamentally believe in in float tanks. You know, to give you guys a pump, I absolutely love it. I really do. It's it's um you know spiritual or not. We touched on some spiritual aspects of of meditation, flotation, and stuff. You know, whether you're into that or not, it doesn't really matter. The, the physiological benefits of floating are, are just a second to none as well. Um, and just spending time with yourself, I think, you know. Nick said before that it's getting harder and harder for us to, to reconnect with ourselves. You know, whenever we're bored or distracted or fearful or whatever, we can just get the phone out, you know, and that's fine. Well, yeah, like, yeah, exactly right. Um, and that's totally fine. And we, we live in a world where that's actually quite difficult, you know, but I mean, jumping in a float tank just allows you that time to be completely with yourself. And if you're someone that struggles to meditate, like just buy the bullet and accept that and then jump in a tank, you know, it, it is fantastic. I reckon I've floated about, I don't know, 15, 20 times now. And I wish I could float every week, just reflect after the week, you know, it's fantastic. So now I love, I love, I love, uh, beyond rest of what you guys do here. It's great. So um, that's all for me. Yeah. Cool. I wrote down some notes a couple of months ago. Um, that I haven't tried out yet. Just a few questions for a potential podcast interview. So yeah. I just thought of them before. Um, so I'll just ask them. So yeah, please. Down. So the first question was two versus one. And that was just tell us two things that you really like about yourself mm. and one thing that you're not that comfortable with about yourself. I think I, I love my um, I love my ability to be um, open and talk. I think I have a good ability to externalize, um, and kind of like, it's very therapeutic for me as well, because I, um, 
you know, I like try to figure things out by talking with people. Um, so I really like the fact that I can be open and, and honest. It's something that's really helped me with, you know, with my writing. I love my writing as well, but then I sometimes really don't enjoy the fact that I can get so stuck on something and I'm like, okay, this is it for me. Bang. It kind of, you know, refers to that sort of ADHD label that I've, you know, put myself on in the past. And then my ego can get so involved in that. And then I think that I, you know, what, what comes serves as me being like, I really want to help people is actually me just like helping myself. And, you know, the way that, um, yeah, it's something that I think I'm always probably going to battle with a little bit, constantly waking up, you know, so the ability to talk openly, my, my writing, but then on the other side, me being extremely impulsive and just thinking that I'm right all the time, you know, when I'm totally not right. And there's just seven and a half billion ways of looking at the world. So, yeah. Cool. Next question I titled Margatsny. Now that's actually Instagram backwards. Oh yeah. Um, cause I think <laughs> one, I mean, Instagram's awesome tool for people to showcase their life and their passion. And I think it's opened a lot of doors for a lot of people, but I think it creates the problem in the sense that people compare their life to someone else's Instagram feed and feel inferior. Mm. So Margatsny was, give us your Margatsny. What does life look like to you? in your reverse best moment. So a snapshot of who you are when things are, you know, what would you put on your Margatsny feed, which is when things are just going crap that yeah. you might not necessarily want to show other people. Oh, just massive bouts of anxiety. Um, um, taking out my fears and insecurities on my father, like huge, huge, like, I mean, I've, I've been terrible to my father, terrible to my father, you know, it's a bit emotional for me to even talk about that, you know, it's, it's, it's all in the book, but I, I just, he put up with a lot of stuff, you know, that he didn't have to put up with. It was just terrible, you know, so I can really take it out on other people. I can get very, very anxious. Um, I think that I'll never be able to get out of my own head. Um, and I can be egotistical. I can be just, just a, a really terrible bloke, you know, um, that's, it's the aspect of my shadow that I'm trying to reconcile with, you know, but I mean, if I was to put that up on my, uh, you know, backwards Instagram page, like you say, I'd just be this this um, crying, resentful bloke that's just living this victimhood mentality um, that um, that thinks the world owes him something, and especially my dad. And you know, that's something that I'll, um, yeah, I'll always feel a little bit shitty about. Mm. I don't yeah. think you. I couldn't imagine you being a terrible bloke. So, <laughs> you no. know. Yeah, yeah, no. It's funny what we think about what we think other people think about us. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, what we think about ourselves is generally, you know, or I won't even get into that. I'm trying to wrap my head around all the different combinations of it. But ultimately what we believe is true is what we think other people think of us. Mm. And then that's the true version of ourselves opposed to really what we are. So my point saying there is that I just couldn't imagine you being that, but I can see, you know, from what you've just explained that where you could go into that and we've mm. got our little shadows within and we believe that we are this and that mm. and beat ourselves up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, if you recognize that the, the world is a reflection of you and there's lots of things, I mean, the world is a reflection of you is like that is like the analogy of driving the wrong way down a freeway and like having a massive go at everyone else, you know, it's like, what the fuck are you guys all doing? It's like, well, mate, you're the one driving the wrong way down. You know, if there's ever someone pointing the finger at you. There's, if you're pointing the finger at someone, there's three people pointing the finger back at you, you know? And like, there's so many things in life that, that are really bad and people are just behaving terribly to you. Like what's the dependent variable, you know? And that's a very hard thing to, to swallow sometimes, but the amount of times that I just got so pissed off with my dad and just used to yell at him and like used to call him terrible things, you know, I mean, it was just 
it's just to hide the 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 huge fear I had that I was wasting my own life, you know, and like. I really, really do. I mean, chapter six, talking to dad, you know, that, that was a hard chapter for me to write. It was a really hard chapter for me to write because I just, there was just so much, I, I just didn't want to believe how bad I was to my dad, you know? Mm. Um, but, um, I guess acceptance is, is number one. Um, and me and dad are like best mates now, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah. That's an awesome question, man. That's, um, that's got me thinking. It's <laughs> good. Right. I think they're the only ones I want to try out today, mate. Yeah, seem to go down well. We'll finish on a little bit of a high. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice one. Nice Tom's one. a shit bloke. All right, guys. <laughs> no, he's not. Buy his book. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> you want to wrap it up? Yeah, we're all good. So, um, yeah, I think that's a that, that's a wrap. And yeah, we'll chat a little bit later. Sweet, awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. It was awesome. Thanks for having us.